Well, welcome everyone to LCF, whether you're in the building or online, it's fantastic to have you. You were joining us in our Truth Talk campaign we kicked off last week. And if you weren't here last week, I will be taking really a piggyback off last week and picking up right there. But don't worry, for the marvels of technology, you can go home in your spare time, go to YouTube and catch up. I know you're desperate to do that if you missed it last week. But if you do have a Bible, let's recap a little bit. We're going to go to Luke 7 and starting at verse 36. It's also on the Sky Bible here. And let me set the scene a little bit for you. We find a Pharisee called Simon hosting a dinner party and Jesus is his honoured guest. And as we said last week, this wasn't a private affair. It would have been done outside in a courtyard and people would come from all over town to listen to the conversation between these intellectuals. And this is where we find this story starting here. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral, that means a sinful woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Little bit strange. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. It gets stranger. Verse 39. When the Pharisee Simon who invited him saw this, really important, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And we spent about half an hour last week really just sitting between verses 37 and verse 38. And I took a little bit of preacher's liberty and tried to imagine what was going on here. This was an audacious, crazy thing to do. An embarrassing thing to do with this woman. She had a reputation. People knew who she was. People knew she was nowhere near the standard of somebody like Simon. Yet she gate crashed this party in front of her whole town and did something audacious. And I posed last week that between verses 37 and verse 38, moving away from the crowd and getting to Jesus' feet, that this woman would have had a voice prick up in her mind to tell her not to do what she was called to and about to do. And we took some time and I named this voice South Talk Simon. This woman would have known who Simon was and we can see from the passage, Simon knew who this woman was. And as I began to visualise in my own mind what Simon looked like, I imagined him looking like Simon Cowell. He is someone who is renowned for telling people the truth and sometimes being too brutally honest and cutting them down. And sometimes I think Simon Cowell is very unfair on these talent shows that we watch. And as I imagine this woman getting to Jesus' feet, I imagine self-talk Simon ramping up and ramping up and telling her not to do what she was about to do. But actually, if she hadn't have done that, we never would have heard of her. And here we are 2,000 years later in a little church in Luton talking about this woman. Why? Because of one audacious act, I believe, of obedience. And I posed last week that all of us have this self-talk Simon. Voices in our head aren't just for the clinically unstable. All of us, science tells us, has that thinking voice. Sometimes it sounds like our own voice. Sometimes a teacher, a parent, or like mine, as I said last week, Morgan Freeman. It's like the sat-nav where you can change the voice just to suit your preference. But all of us have self-talk. And we looked last week at the science of self-talk. It speaks 1,200 words per minute 
Conversationally, we only speak 145 to 160. It is fast. But the scary thing about self-talk is it runs at this pace. We hear it and we also believe it even when it's not true. Now, there's all sorts of nations around the world at war at the moment, poising to be the most powerful. We see the States and we see Russia and we see China trying to be the most powerful. But I want to pose that still today, the most powerful nation is the imagination. The most powerful nation. You can talk yourself into things and you can talk yourself out of things. You can make up whole scenarios in your head and believe it. This gets scarier when we know that a study found self-talk has a bias of negativity of 14 to 1. So for every 14 good things you hear, uh, sorry, for every one good thing you hear, there's 14 negatives. And you will see this true as your own life. If you've ever gone to a party or a work function and you've had 20 compliments, but one person says something negative, what do you go home and think about? It's not the 20 positives, it is the negative. And my thought today is I will be carrying on with the rest of the passage in Luke 7. But unfortunately, as I began to write this message this week on Thursday, he began to write himself. So we are leaving it again at another cliffhanger. But just like Netflix, you can go home and open your own Bible and finish the account for yourself to see what happens. But it was just as I was recapping on this message, I got stuck not on verses 37 and 38, but on verses 39 and 40. So let me show you those verses again. And this will set us off as we move away from Luke 7 this morning. So when the Pharisee who invited him saw the woman doing this, he said to himself, that is self-talk, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And look at this. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Really important. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. What I want to pose today is for all of our self-talk in our life, all of the self-talk that is running through our head right now and in the week previous to this and the months and the years, some of it good and some of it bad, Jesus always has an answer to it. Jesus knew his thoughts and he answered. And my style of writing messages is a little bit different to how Becky would write messages or indeed Roy or Alan or anyone else who preaches. Oftentimes, I am, you see my nails, I bite my nails till Thursday afternoon because week by week, I don't find writing sermons easy. I am stressing. God just seems to have a direct internet link to Becky's mind because she writes a sermon like that and she's ready to go. But oftentimes when I'm sitting and I'm wrestling with scripture, a thought or a phrase will come to mind. And as soon as that phrase drops in my spirit, I believe from God, I am good to go. And this is a phrase that dropped in my mind Thursday afternoon as I was struggling with these scriptures. When self-talk Simon tries to be the conductor on our train of thoughts, Jesus has an answer. When Simon, self-talk in our life, tries to be the conductor on our train of thought, Jesus has an answer. And it's that little train of thought idiom that I got stuck on, the train of thought. And instantly I was transported back 11 years ago. I at the time was living in Birmingham and I'd just recently got engaged to Rebecca or Becky as you know her. I was living in Birmingham and Becky was living in Northampton and I worked for a church in Birmingham on team, heading up some young adults work and the media team and I'd work from Sunday to Wednesday. And as soon as Wednesday, the clock struck five, I was out of the door in Selly Oak 
jumping on the train by Cabriland in Birmingham, going to New Street Station to get on the London-Euston train from platform 4A to get to Northampton. Now, helpfully, I had a little room set aside in Northampton Church where I could go and stay. Uh, while Becky was in her house with her parents, I'd stay in this little room in church from Wednesday to Saturday, and I'd do the whole weekend uh, process again and again. And it was one Sunday, uh, I was in church and my pastor at the time, Stuart, who spoke here last year, he gave me this project I had to do and it was going to take a bit more time. So Wednesday, I stayed late. I got out about 6.30 and I rushed to Selly Oak train station, jumped on the train and got to New Street. Now, uh, you may or may, know not, may or may not know about me, sorry, that I'm not a massive extrovert. I say this quite often. People think because I can get on a platform and speak, I'm an extrovert, I find this much easier than speaking one-on-one. So if I'm ever awkward with you, it's nothing personal, I'm just really, really shy and awkward one-on-one. So what I do whenever I'm on the train is I put my headphones in. I'm not like those really holy Christians who go and start ministering to people on the train. I put my headphones in and I put my head down. I did the same at Selio. Headphones went in, I jumped off the train at New Street Station and these platforms uh, where, that run to London, Euston, they have about three or four trains an hour. So If I timed it correctly, I could jump straight off one train and onto another to get to Northampton. As I said, already running late. So I jumped off my train at Selly Oak. I know platform 4A is my usual platform. I start to make my way to platform 4A. Now, as I was approaching, something happened that struck panic into my heart. I saw people running. You ever done that at the train station where you go towards your platform and everyone just looks harried and rushed? They're running down the escalator. So I do the only logical thing to do in that situation is I run with them. (laughs) And we're running down the escalator and I'm pushing old women out of the way and kicking walking. No, I'm not. I'm being very polite, but I'm moving fast. I get down to platform 4A and I can see the train and the doors are open, but I hear that noise in my headphones. You know, the beep, beep, beep means the doors are going to shut. So I run on the train and I sit down and I breathe a sigh of relief, feeling like I'd just been in a James Bond movie. And I put my bag down I turn my headphones back up and I take a moment to just breathe and rest as the train goes out of the station. And it took me five or six minutes to realise that this train looks a little bit different to my usual train. (laughs) At the time it was called London Midland, I think they've changed names now, but it didn't look like a London Midland train, it looked far posher. And I take a headphone out and I get over myself and my fear and I speak to somebody that I don't know, I say, excuse me. This is the train, isn't it, to London Euston, stopping at Northampton? And she went, no, this is the train to Manchester. (laughs) I thought, oh my goodness me. So I'm sweating, I'm sitting there, red in the face, blowing, and I get off the train somewhere near Stafford, I think. I think it was Stafford. And end up having to navigate three or four different trains to get back to Birmingham. What I didn't realise is Birmingham New Street was going through a whole development uh, into what is now Grand Central, a bit of backstory. And all the platforms had got messed up. Literally within a week, the usual platform had changed. But unfortunately, me with my headphones in, not paying attention, thinking I'm smart, timing the trains between each other, rushed onto the platform. And instead of going south, I started to go north. And this is exactly what happens with our train of thoughts. First thing as we dive into self-talk today, we looked at what it was last week. This week we're going to look at how we tackle it. Is is the train of our thought going in the right direction? Is it going south where really you should be going north or vice versa? So first thing I want us to ask us today with our train of thought, self-talk Simon trying to be the conductor is am I boarding from the right platform? 
Am I boarding from the right platform? And as I said just a moment ago, our self-talk speaks incredibly fast. 1,200 words a minute, which sounds something like this, but we understand it and we hear it and we believe it all of the time. And just like me, when I started to see those people running, I didn't take a moment to check I was going to the right platform. I thought I knew better in my own imagination. I did this every week. I knew what I was doing. I would join the rushing crowd and jump on the plane. But ultimately, it was going in the wrong direction. So self-talk Simon speaks fast, but he will have you bored on a train of thought before you have time to even realise what you're doing. And I'm sure as you assess your own life and your own, your own circumstances and situations where you have found yourself in difficulty before, you will know this to be true. Again, science tells us that the voice we hear is self-talk Simon, often we feel it before we consciously understand it. By that, I mean we feel our feelings, the emotion of what our thoughts are telling us, we feel within 30 seconds. And more often than not, we're feeling it before we've had time to process and understand it. So for example, when you've been in a situation and either you or someone has flown off the handle and you don't know why, the culprit is probably self-talk. They have heard something or you have heard something completely different to what was actually said. And before you've had time to process consciously what had been said and what was happening, you are feeling that anger, that embarrassment, that shame rise up within you. And I've done it so many times where I've had to go and sit down and thinking, what on earth was I doing there? I just lost it. I, I, I was shouting at someone or I bit Becky's head off or my kid's head off. And it wasn't the situation that I did it. It was my self-talk. Now, back in the 1970s, there was a, a popular form of psychotherapy, if I can say that word properly, psychotherapy that was introduced into modern medicine. And when we started to look at anxious thoughts and depressive thoughts last week, well, this isn't a new problem. It's been in the world since the world began. However, we get sometimes to a point where those negative thoughts, those self-talk Simon situations are really conducting our thoughts to the point where they're ruining our lives. And when we do need medical uh, intervention and attention, which I believe is absolutely correct, more often than not, starting from the 1970s, they won't instantly give you tablets, they'll refer you to something called cognitive behavioural therapy. Has anyone ever heard of that? Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, CBT, much easier to say. And this form, as I said, in 1970 began to find popularity, where today in 2023, it is the foremost uh, medicine prescribed, it's a talking therapy to battle certain aspects of anxiety and depression, aka negative thoughts. This is how it's defined. Cognitive behavioural therapy is a primary type of psychotherapy in which negative patterns of thought about the self and the world are challenged in order to alter unwanted thoughts or behaviour patterns or treat mood disorders such as depression. And again, when this was introduced into the Western world of medicine in 1970, it was seen as a breakthrough. As I said, so much so, it's now the foremost way to treat anxious thoughts and certain forms of depression. However, if we go back to the Bible, this isn't new at all. The Apostle Paul was prescribing this to believers over 2,000 years ago. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Listen to this. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is CBT. 
And oftentimes when we look at this thought therapy, we can think, well, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna cure us. But those who have been through it, and myself included went through a spell of this about seven years ago, can attest to how powerful this is. Now, when CBT, CBT today takes this modern medicine approach, it gives us helpful idioms and maxims to try and cope with the thoughts we're having. You see, when Paul says to make our thoughts obedient, to take them captive, instead of letting our thoughts take us captive, he gives us a measuring line of truth. See, he doesn't just say, take every thought captive and hold it there. He says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I wanna ask you, who is captive in your life, you or your thoughts? Who's the captive? Who's controlled? So Paul is saying every thought we have, subconscious and consciously, make an effort to take it, to grasp it and to evaluate it. And just like that, when we get to the station of our mind and we're looking at our train of thoughts, are they going north or south? We need to be really conscious of all the things going on in our mind. As I said, Paul doesn't give us a, a, like a, a plethora of things to measure against. Paul doesn't leave truth as something to discern alone. Christ, he says, is the plumb line. If you look in the Bible, Amos 7, 7 to 8, it talks about the plumb line of truth and God measures people against this plumb line of truth. And we are called to do exactly this with our thoughts. The Bible says of itself, Psalm 119, 105, the Psalmist. He says, your word, not your, your word myself, he says, your word, God's word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Many of us have self-talk, Simon is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. So if you allow me, I'd like to change CBT a little bit and call it cognitive Bible therapy. See what I did there? Cognitive Bible therapy. There is no more powerful weapon in the Christian life than the Word of God. And so, so often when we look at truth, we can read it, but unless we're basking ourselves in it, we will never ever see it affect our lives. So when we're looking at our own train of thoughts with Simon as the conductor, Simon will say things like, I don't know where to go. But his word says, I will direct your steps. Simon says, I can't forgive myself. And, and Jesus said, well, I've already forgiven you. Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But I'm not smart enough, Simon will tell you. I will give you wisdom. God said, I will use the foolish things to shine the wise. So if you feel like an idiot, don't worry, God's already got it. I'm not able, Simon says, but God said, but I'm able. But I'm scared, Simon will tell you. I haven't given you a spirit of fear, God tells you. I'm alone, Simon says. I will never leave you, Jesus says. I'm an accident. Ah, uh -uh. Jesus says that you are a masterpiece. I cannot manage in this situation, Simon says. I will supply all of your needs, God says. But God, I'm just so unlovable. I did this and I did that and I said this and now this is what's happened. But God says, I will always, always love you. Always. And it's only when we start to get conscious in the station of our mind of these thoughts that are running riot as runaway trains will we ever start to feel and believe that some of the th these things that God says about us are in fact actually true. Is your train of thought running in the direction of truth or mistruth? 
Be really, really, really conscious that Simon speaks loud and fast, but Jesus speaks thoughtfully and truthfully. I want to ask you, do you know his voice? It's an instance in the Bible where God speaks in a whisper. He doesn't shout, he doesn't throw his toys out the plan, which is indicative of what Simon does. Very loud, very fast, very forceful, very pressured. But Jesus speaks in the whisper. Why does he speak in a whisper? Because he is close. He's close. He doesn't need to shout or bawl. He speaks with a whisper because he is close. After the service today, all of us like cattle, I'm sure, will rush through this door and rush out of that door and get next door. We'll grab our teas, our coffees, our biscuits and catch up with each other on our weeks, what's happening this week, what's happening last week, what's happening next week. And there'll be a happy hubbub of chatter like there is every Sunday. Now, if I'm on one side of the room and I'm chatting to you with my tea and my coffee and my biscuit, I probably will have both actually. But the other side of the room, one of my three children says, Dad, I'll hear it instantly. Now, there could be three or four or five or six different children shouting the word dad, but as soon as my child, Judah, Asa or Ida says dad, I'm instantly attuned. Why? Because I know the tone, the timbre of their voice, not just in my mind, but also in my heart. Only one person or three people say the word dad, like Judah, Asa and Ida. And although there's so much noise, there's a lot of activity, should they just say it at a normal volume, I'll be able to hear it. Now that's exactly how it should be with Jesus. In the clatter and the clutter and the noise of life, when Jesus says Luke or Ebony or Thomas or Peter or Fiona or Catherine, as soon as he says your voice, instantly you should be attuned. And all the different chatter and noise and, and harshness that is going on in your lives, all the accusations that are happening, as soon as you hear your name, peace. Do you know his voice? So number one, as you look at your train of thought, is it firstly going in the right direction? We should be practising week on week, day by day, morning by morning, cognitive Bible therapy. We are very, very privileged here in the West, in the UK, to be able to have our Bibles freely. Please don't leave it on the shelf or in your little app bin on your phone to gather dust. It's where the Word is that will really transform and shape your life. Let's go back to the station of our mind. Second thing I want to tell you, after finding the right platform and making sure you're going in the right direction, is to watch the line and mind the gap. Luke, I wonder if you can help me. Now, I know we've got some professional commuters in our church. Luke, you just put it down that way. I'll give you the rippy end because I'm never able to write it. You just pop it down here. This is the line our worship team cannot cross. Now, when you've been at a train station, you will see this line. It's usually not white, it's yellow. And I'm sure you, like me, have seen grown men and women be rebuked over the tannoy for crossing the yellow line. Really, really interesting. It's not the edge. It's not where the track is. It's usually set back half a metre, a metre. And professional business people who travel to London every day and make six-figure salaries are told off by someone over a tannoy because a toe goes over the line. You see, in the station of our mind where we're talking about self-talk, Simon, the line in our scenario is a healthy boundary. And the gap we'll talk about in a minute, the gap is the, 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 the face of the line where danger is imminent. And as we walk through the Christian life and, and we become what I would call professional Christians, 
let's put that at five to 10 years. After five to 10 years, you're a professional Christian. We can very, very easily get lax in some of the simple things that God tells us to do. Some of the simple things we learned and we took really seriously early on start to become not that important anymore. Some of the simple boundaries in our lives, why? Because we've got it together now. We walk with Jesus, we know Jesus, we do life with Jesus. And actually, it's not so often from malice or from a bad place, but we start to flirt with this line, this boundary that is protecting us from something we need to stay away from. And again, when we approach approach the Bible, my friends see the Bible, many of them for many years have seen the Bible as a rule book. And it's a place where things go to diminish. It's what you can't do. Actually, it's a love letter. The boundaries that are put in place in the Word of God and in our life aren't for us to diminish. They're so we can flourish. You think of a beautiful cliff face with an amazing vista. Maybe there's a barrier put up and that's not there to spoil your view. It's there to protect you from falling off the edge. And although you may trip into it and get bruised, at least you won't fall off the edge and die. And this is why boundaries are put in place. And when we get to this place of being a professional Christian, we start to get a little bit cocky with the line. And sometimes we're not just getting cocky with the line, sometimes we just start to get a little bit inattentive to the line. And over the tannoy, the voice comes, which in my world is the Holy Spirit of conviction, saying, you're getting a bit too close there, back away. And sometimes in our arrogance, we can say, well, we know what we're doing. There's still half a metre, there's still a metre, I'm nowhere near it. And this is when our spirit starts to get a little bit wrong because we start to flirt with the line when we should be fleeing from it. We start to think, oh, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. And let me tell you, the amount of godly men and women just in my 10 years in ministry, ministers, regional leaders, national leaders who have flirted with the line and ended up tripping off has been substantial, absolutely substantial. People who should know better People who are in positions of leadership and authority, they just get inattentive. They make one decision. They, they do one thing, they say one thing, that leads to another thing. And no more are they two metres away from the line. They're on the line before they're at a cliff face and they're falling off. And when we look at God in our own life, we can accept most things that God says about us. Most of the things we've got under wrap, we pray every day, we read the Word every day. But more often than not, and I can say this with all probability of it being 100% correct, is there is just one thing in our lives that will get us. Just one thing. And that will look completely different to all of us. We accept most of what God says about us, but it may be just one thing. Our self-talk reminds us of that gets us stuck. And oftentimes it's when we do that one thing, self-talk starts to ramp up its speed and its accusation. Just one thing. And we're not silly, we know what that one thing is. It could be glory, it could be power, it could be sex, it could be an internet website, it could be fiddling with the numbers, it's just one thing. It could be bitterness, it could be unforgiveness, it could be jealousy, it's just one thing. But each and every one of us knows what that one thing is and this is where we need to paint the line. It might not be an issue for some people, but for you it's an issue, so paint the line. And let me fill you with a bit of hope if this sounds really dire and drastic and and condemning. As I said, this is 100% for all of us. And if it isn't you, it's probably pride. I'll just put that one out there. If you think, well, no, I've got it all together. Well, probably not. It's probably pride. But as we said last week, we open up the Word. 
We go into the Bible and we look at the amazing characters of faith who inspire us, who, who get us up in the morning, who want us, who, who get us living for Jesus in a new and fresh way. Every single one of them had a one thing as well. Let's point to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 6, 9 and 10. He says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited or prideful, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. But Jesus said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, and in difficulties. And I love this last line, for when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So yes, maybe we've made a mistake. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it was 10 minutes ago. Maybe you're in the midst of making it now and you think it disqualifies me. And Simon will have a field day with this. Your self-talk will grab it, it will exploit it, it will prod it, it will ramp it up and it will even make it more than it was. But it doesn't disqualify you. In the words of Paul, it's actually what qualifies you. You see, if we don't think there's anything wrong with us or there's any weakness in our armour, chances are we're too full of ourselves to let the Holy Spirit in. The Holy Spirit can't fill up what is already full. And some of us are full of ourselves. We need to be really honest when we look at our own lives, our own journeys, our pasts, exploiting these situations that are pulled away from Jesus and ask ourselves, God, is this something I need to deal with? Is it something I'm over? Is it something I am living with now? Lord Jesus, help me in my weakness. That is one of the best prayers you can pray. Identify it, show it the light and give it to Jesus. Really interestingly, in my Bible, I took a picture this week and asked Callum to do some clever editing for me. This whole paragraph is subsectioned with this title. It's Paul's vision and his thought. Now, I find that really interesting because Paul's vision was of the heavenly realm where he saw inexpressible things that he wasn't allowed to tell. And directly after that comes a thorn. I want to tell you, when you were going to the, the place where Jesus wants to, to get you, where you were walking in His will, when you were about to cross a threshold into something brand new He has for your life, it's then that your mistakes will hit you like a steam train. This is where we have to mine the gap. When we are going into something new, you see, the gap comes just as the train pulls in. The gap isn't there while you're on the platform waiting to board this brand new journey. You stay back from the line, you sit and you see. But when the train pulls in, there's a very small gap that if you're not attentive to, you can get your foot lost in, turn an ankle or even worse. And I've seen it before and I've helped people before. Some people struggle with the gap. Maybe they're limping. Maybe they're older. They're not as mobile as they used to be. And for some of us, when we look at our mistakes, when we look at this bait, this temptation that we have in our lives, that the enemy will exploit, but we do a good enough job of exploiting ourselves. Sometimes we are walking with a limp and we just need a hand. We just need someone, Luke, come and help me. We just need someone to give us a shoulder to help us walk by. You see, if you were struggling with something in your life that you were going round and round and round and round with for years and years and years, best way to tackle it is to bring it in the light and tell somebody else about it. I'm not saying go and approach someone on Castle Street after the service. 
I'm talking about a valued friend, a brother or sister in Christ, just like Luke is for me. Thanks, Luke. And what they can do in that situation, once it is brought into the light, it loses its power. Because I know for a fact, if I tell Luke I'm struggling with something, I promise you, because I've done it before, Luke will be on my back like a rash. He'll text me, he'll call me. How are you doing with that? I know you were doing this today and we've talked about that. Do you need a hand there? Is there any advice I can give? Do you need a shoulder to lean on? When your vision comes, so will your thorn. Just as you're about to board that brand new journey to that brand new place, that is when you are most likely to trip. And I want to tell you, it only takes one more trip in the gap to see you miss the train and delay your journey. I'm not saying the journey won't ever happen, but as soon as you succumb to that thing in your life, it could have the potential to delay your journey. And this is true. Some of you know my story and Becky's story. This is true and indicative of my own journey and my own life. My calling was delayed by at least two and a half years because of a trip that I made in my life, not watching the gap. I thought I was a professional Christian. I dealt with that in the past, but it was still laid deep in my heart. And when I was going to board the train that Jesus wanted to have me go to, to a new place with a new vision, I turned my foot. Is that okay? Is it okay if I'm speaking a little bit frankly this morning? Good. So paint the line, mind the gap and silence self-talk. Number three and lastly, Once you get on the train, find your seat. Find your seat. I wonder if you've had an instance like me, as I said, I was doing that train trip every week from Birmingham to Northampton, where the train's busy, you get on and you finally see uh, this this seat that is waiting for you. It's almost like a sunbeams on it. Everywhere else is crowded. You sit in the seat and you look smug at all the people standing up at the end of the carriage. But then... You get to the next stop and someone comes in, taps you on the shoulder, you have to take your headphone out and they say, excuse me, I think you're sat in my seat. They show you the ticket and indeed it has your slash their seat number on it. I call it the walk of shame on the train, okay? You have to get up and find another seat, preferably in a carriage that is far, far away from that one where you've just embarrassed yourself completely. And I wanna tell you this church, you can be on the right journey, but in the wrong seat, You end up sitting on somebody's lap. You see, when you are confronted with that train ticket, you don't let them sit down and then sit on their knee. That would just be very odd. You move away with red cheeks to find your own seat. There's nothing wrong with sitting on somebody's lap if you're a child and if you know the adult. If you get on a train and you see a mother or a father with a toddler on their lap, you won't look twice. However, if that same mother and child are doing that 36 years time from now, they're probably quite a spectacle and a meme somewhere on Facebook, Instagram or TikTok because it is very, very odd. Now, apparently we have an epidemic here in the West. It's called growing slow. Younger adults now, or those who call themselves young adults, I'm afraid to say, aren't actually that young We, according to this study that was done, I think in about 2019, young adults or those reaching maturity are doing so far slower than they were 50, 60 years ago. And of course, there's reasons for this, the cost of living. To buy a house now, you have to sort of sell your children to afford the deposit for the mortgage, where before you could probably manageably 
be doing it. But there's other things as well. For example, if you're 45 years old and you're playing PlayStation 4 or 5, if you're you're doing well in life till four o'clock in the morning and you wake up and you miss work, that's kind of a problem. If you're still living in the lap of mum and dad where you have the means to get out and go and forge your own path, that's a problem. We're getting married later, those who want to get married. We're having kids later, those who want to have kids. Everything just is getting later. It's called a slow grow, or I think it's called a slow grow. That's what I named it because it rhymes. We're growing slow. And this isn't just a 2023 problem here in the West. This has always been a problem in the spiritual life. Look at this, the writer of Hebrews. And I can imagine the writer, whoever it was, being exasperated penning this. They're saying it's hard to make it clear to you talking to the church because you no longer try and understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers yourselves, you need someone else to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is the pandemic that we are having in the church. Is so many of us have got a calling from God, have got a gifting from God, we're up for the journey, but we're far happier sitting in the lap of a pastor, a teacher, a ministry, a parent, an uncle, an aunt or a grandparent because we can't be bothered to do it ourselves. The, the walk of faith is a corporate one, absolutely, but we're told in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 12, that we are, a, each of us has to play our part. But many of us are sitting in laps. We talked last week, didn't we, about getting stuck in that prison of self-talk, about getting stuck between verses 38 and 39, not being able to go back, but scared to go forward. I wanna tell you this and take note of this if this is for you. Just because it's padded doesn't mean it's not a cell. Just because it's padded doesn't mean it's not a cell. In fact, the padded cells are far more complicated than the normal cells. The people who end up in the padded cells are not a danger to other people. They're also a danger to themselves. And this is what happens in the church in the West so often is we sit in a church for years and years and we said it last week, we live year one audaciously, we live year two audaciously, but then we just reincarnate it. We live year one again and year two again and then live year one again and year two again and we don't grow up, we don't mature, we just keep drinking milk. And we're content to sit as adults in the lap of somebody else, trying to live in the slipstream of their journey, not realising that God has something for you. And it does require effort, and it does require thought, and it does require getting up and do something. And this is why we don't want to do it, because we're more consumer than disciple. And this is the pandemic of the church here. You look at the East, I know we've got an amazing contingent from Iran in our church. The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And it's messy and there's no buildings, there's no PA systems. It's largely being led by young women underground, but it is thriving and God is moving. And we are sat in our comfy churches, our padded cells, lapping up milk, not ready for meat because we're just happy to consume. The only people we're robbing in that scenario is ourselves. God has something for each and every one of us uniquely, but we need to find our own seats. We need to go through the hassle of going on the train line up, looking at the diagram, picking the seat, paying for it, getting to the station. Let's not piggyback on the back of mom or dad or pastor or ministry or church. 
Let's find our own seat. You have your own seat. Do not let your self-talk tell you it's okay to journey in somebody else's lap. And the majority of the self-talk we have looked at these past two weeks has been accusation and it's been persecution and it's been loud and brash. But Simon has another side as well. It's slow and it's melodic and it's comforting and it's a lullaby. If he can't get you panicked, he will try and send you to sleep. Cuddled in the arms of somebody else, being ineffective, not being able to walk in what God has called you to walk in and see you meander through life. And yes, you're going the right way. You're turning up to church and you're, you're making friendships and you're attending the things, but are you really growing? Have you moved from the Aptimil baby milk to the nice steak or if you're vegan, nice courgette that God wants to give you to dine on? where you can build your muscles, your strength, and you grow in height and stature and prominence, not for your glory, but for His. And I wonder as we close, can we all stand? I just wanna leave you with one phrase and we're gonna have some, some time, five or 10 minutes where we can just pray together if you would want to. I wanna tell you this, don't let your self-talk be the limiting factor of the unlimited potential that Jesus has put in your life. And the potential that is in your life isn't from you, it is from Him. A beautiful chapter in the Bible, Ephesians 1, tells us that we have been given every spiritual blessing. That is our inheritance of children of God. And in the kingdom, there's no cousin or grandchild or fourth descendant who just gets a, a tiny proportion. Each and every one of us who call Jesus Lord, who say we're a follower of Him, are sons and daughters of God and are eligible for the inheritance that He has for us. An amazing inheritance, one that will see us walking audaciously and it won't always be easy and it won't come with loads of zeros, I'm sure, in your bank account, but what it will do is come alive within you, that spirit man and woman that God has birthed within you will come alive and will start to be effective for the Kingdom of God here in Luton and beyond or from ever, from wherever you're watching. And I wonder if these past two weeks have spoken to you in any way at all and you just feel like you wanna do something with it we have a prayer team here and I wonder prayer team, can you come to the front and upstairs as well as a prayer team upstairs, I can't see. There's a team upstairs as well. I wonder if you were just feeling the compulsion to do something with this. Maybe last week you were stuck in that small space between verses where behind you is the past that you know you have to move away from and, and before you is something exciting, an opportunity that God has for you, but you just are crippled in the middle with self-fear. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to stand with you, to lay hands if you want us to, and to pray with you. Or maybe this week you were at the station of evaluation in your mind and you're looking at the boards like you're doing a train station, all the different destinations, all the opportunities, all the things from your past and all the things that you've got to look forward to in your future and you're looking where to board. Number one, I tell you, make sure you're on the right platform. Number two, be mindful of the line and the gap. And number three, make sure you're travelling in your seat. And if any of those points at all strike a chord within your soul or spirit, we would love to just stand and pray with you. So if that's you, would you make your way to the front right now? And I know just like that woman we looked at last week, it can be quite a scary thing to do, to step out, quite audacious to just move that few feet. But I wanna tell you in this room, we love you. We're a family. There's no embarrassment, shame or awkwardness here. Our team would love to pray for you. 
Fantastic guys at the top. If you're up the top, you can go there. If you're down in the stalls down here, please come forward. And our worship team are going to minister to us as we pray for these people. And if you don't want prayer, that's absolutely fine. Let's just encourage each other. Let's stretch your hand out toward the guys coming forward and also join us in worship. Thank you, Lisa.